Okay, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. It is uh, Thursday, February 1st, bing bong, first month of the year gone, uh, and we're speeding along. Uh, Brent crude oil trading this morning, I would say, ultimately, little changed, uh, 80.63, and uh, uh, dropped away yesterday, uh, and um, after the some some momentum uh, earlier in the week from Middle East tensions, uh, it appeared like a geopolitical premium was building in the oil price. Is there one? Uh, 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 how big is it? How big could it be? Um, we're looking at the the sort of forecast for oil prices over uh, the the recent review periods. Uh, uh, in 2023, we've uh, our collective wisdom in the daily energy markets, all the brains that we have, 60, 70 of our podcasters came up with this result uh, closer to 80, uh, uh, which um, was uh, we had uh, closer to 100 and closer to 90. Of course, it was $82 on Brent average last year. So uh, we were a little bit out of the money there this year. The forecast is um, for uh, that 80 number, getting most of the votes in our early year polling uh, 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 and uh, the outlook for the month of February after a 78 average in January is a similar number. $80 seems to be the preferred target number. Uh, when in doubt, go with what's in the market in the moment, it seems to be. Uh, so... Uh, as was uh, uh, acutely reminded yesterday in an interview with uh, Nasal Haji that uh, nobody got the forecast right last year. Uh, everybody was far too bullish. Um, and uh, uh, closer to 80 is where we're forecast for the month of February. Let's uh, kick off this morning uh, with Neil Atkinson and to get uh, Neil's view. Of course, Neil, former uh, head of oil markets division at the IEA. Uh, Neil, is this a market looking for direction? What is giving it direction at the moment? Uh, I'm not sure exactly what is giving it direction at the moment. Uh, you have such a, an extraordinary divergence of opinions uh, amongst the uh, analyst community as to where, for example, global oil demand is, uh, how much it's going to grow in 2024. You've got the OPEC Secretariat and one or two other a private analyst looking at demand growth of more than 2 million barrels a day. And you've got uh, my uh, former colleagues at the IEA and one or two other forecasters suggesting a figure just above 1 million barrels a day. So when you've got that degree of divergence, uh, as far as the demand outlook is concerned, I think it's pretty obvious that nobody really has a clue. And uh, on the other side of the balance, we're, we're making assumptions about whether or not the OPEC plus cuts will be uh, uh, carried forward. I think there's a meeting today. Uh, and of course, will the non-OPEC production growth surprise, which we saw towards the end of 2023, be maintained through the year? So there's a lot of conflicting factors as far as the fundamentals are concerned. And uh, just to close up here on the geopolitical outlook, uh, you know, I don't want to get into armchair general mode, but uh, so far, despite all the, the terrible things that are happening in in the Middle East and the tensions, rising tensions between the United States and Iran, interruptions to actual supplies of oil uh, have been pretty limited. 
Yes, we're, we're obviously seeing longer voyage times because of the problems in the Red Sea, but it uh, does not mean that oil, that oil supplies and indeed other supplies are not reaching markets. They may just be taking longer. So to me, it's uh, a very open picture. Anish Kapadia, Director and Head of Energy at Policy Advisors, your thoughts on a similar question. It does feel like uh, there's a downward draft in this market when all is neutral the momentum still seems to be wanting to sort of drop down to those 70s for Brent. Your thoughts on the direction of travel? Good morning. Well, our, our, our thoughts are that the market, uh, the, the recent run-up that you've seen is a little bit overdone and the, the fundamentals still point to um, a pretty bearish market over, over the coming months. Uh, that's our views mainly predicated on um, on two key things. Firstly, uh, the demand data points that we're seeing in the market suggest that um, oil demand in in the latter part of last year, um, you know, most of the data, the IEA data, is, is somewhat delayed. But the most recent data towards the end of last year and into this year is looking very weak for the market, especially in in areas such as North America. Uh, where you're seeing worrying trends in in gasoline demand, um, we're, we're also seeing. Um, what do you mean well, worrying trends? What's that look like? So, so looking at the, the last few months of the year, looking at the Jody data, um, the most recent Jody data, you're actually seeing negative gasoline um, demand. You're seeing gasoline demand down from um, from 20, 2019 levels. Um, so, you know, it's suggesting um, certainly another slowdown coming through in, in the economy in, in the US. Um, the, the other key thing that, that we're seeing is um, what we think is another episode through last year of China destocking its um, crude and crucially its product inventories. Um, it's, it's done that in the past when um, when it's built up a high level of inventories um, post post COVID. Um, and we think that the, it's going to be doing that, or it has been doing that again from the observable data, and that's going to continue through 2024. Um, that's going to create further pressure on the market, a similar, a similar to what you saw when the US de-stocked its SPR. Let's go to Mike McGlone, a senior macro strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. Mike, clearly this market cannot drop uh, much when you've got these levels of geopolitical uncertainty. And on top of that, you've about 6 million barrels a day of idle supply, I, I, the cuts that the OPEC plus are keeping off the market. So um, that's the first time I've been on the program, um, Sean, in about two years when another guest and I agreed. And Anish, I appreciate your views. Sometimes I prefer to be the detractor and to just correct what you said earlier no one got it right i'm still bearish crude oil i've been early i think wti's might be see a 40 handle this year and that's not profound when you look at it technically and fundamentally and if you look at it versus other commodities so as a broad commodity strategist crude oil has about a 20 dollar premium right now compared to industrial metals compared to corn compared to u.s natural gas it's fair value is around 50 bucks um that's wti so a little bit higher for brent and Ron, it's the main thing that's holding it up right now is geopolitical. So I think it's just a matter of time. It tilts lower. And the key thing is what you saw yesterday. Just a little bit of pullback in this um, unstoppable U.S. stock market, which is way overdue for uh, some back and fill, will probably be part of the catalyst. 
and it's all commodities. And remember, we're on the wrong side of the cycle. We had the, um, it's called, the farmers call it, the higher price cures kicking in. Just look at supply estimate revisions are clearly upward for all commodities, grains, meth, less so metals, but most notably be, most notably liquid fuels. And as Anish mentioned, um, demand estimate revisions, most, most notably for GDP, a lot of them are heading lower. And that's from a macro standpoint. So crude oil to me is in a normal downward cycle. It's being boosted a little bit by geopolitical events, but what's that doing in North America supply? Like you mentioned, there's an excess of 6 million barrels a day out of OPEC um, spare capacity or so. The excess of US and Canada crude oil liquid fuel supply is running around 6 million barrels a day. Just to put that in context, um, 2008, when prices peaked, that was about a, a deficit of around 11 million barrels a day. So to me, this is just a normal commodity cycle. And I ask, ask myself, what stops it? Here's the biggest problem is we just saw the Fed's not going to be early to ease. They're going to let commodities continue to deflate. Um, and the issue also, last year at this time, the U.S. stock market, of which crude oil has a very high correlation, has been increasing over time, certainly positive compared to 2007, which was negative. Um, the U.S. stock market was at a 25% discount to its all-time high. Now it is at the high. So there's only room for reversion lowers, the way I see it. Commodities have been leading the way. And there's only one commodity I still am bullish, and that's gold. Gold, gold, gold. Uh, Neil, on, on, on the bullish side of things, one would have to acknowledge a few factors, data points that come in this week alone. The IMF revised upward it's it's on monday or earlier in the week uh, it's global uh, gdp growth uh, we've got uh, china today publishing factory activity expanded in january uh, due to stable growth and output there quicker logistics uh, these are fundamentals uh, that underpin any market. You're, and it's the time of year, typically the softer window of the year on the demand side and, and, and for prices. Your outlook for those fundamentals to underpin this market going forward? Well, as far as the IMF is concerned, in the, the previous effort, which was back in November, uh, their outlook for global GDP uh, growth and pretty pretty well spread around the world was for uh, uh, average growth, which was significantly below, or maybe not significantly below, but below uh, the 10-year average running up to the pandemic. And uh, it was one of the weakest uh, growth outlooks for the global uh, economy uh, that we've seen for some time. And, uh, you know, there are uh, indicators, Mike has been talking about them uh, very uh, eloquently in the last few minutes, uh, which point to uh, excesses supply in many commodity markets, and I'm not an expert on uh, much outside of oil, but uh, it's certainly something that we're aware that we're all aware of. And uh, you know, the uh, uh, the outlook for the global economy, with, with obviously China being an important component of that, with particular reference to oil markets, still remains sluggish. Uh, I mentioned earlier on about the enormous disparity between the outlooks for global oil demand growth in 2024. Uh, my own personal preference is at the lower end of those uh, estimates for some of the reasons that Mike was mentioning. So yeah, we're in this period now, 1st of February, uh, you know, spring is not yet here. Uh, and we're in a very sluggish uh, phase. You know, I'm not sure I, I go fully with Mike's well, I think, uh, geopolitical premium, forgive me if I've got that wrong. Uh, I'm not sure I, I fully buy into that. 
but he's certainly been consistent over the last few months when uh, I've heard him speak on this forum uh, about uh, being very bearish as far as uh, oil prices are concerned. And certainly if we follow the pattern in 24 that we saw in 23, with continued uh, inc solid increases in supply from various parts of the, the oil world and more sluggish demand, then yes, the indicators would suggest that so we're in for prices which are not going to be uh, in excess of $80 a barrel, but more likely down towards the 70s and maybe even below that. But it's the geopolitics which lurks everything. Uh, although I personally doubt we're going to see a major escalation that is going to draw in the United States and Iran, because I don't think it's in the interests of either of those countries to get involved in conflict. Because let's face it, if you were to see that and oil prices spike significantly, uh, you know, that is not good for the United States uh, uh, in election year. I think that trumps almost everything. And that was sorry, that was an unintended pun. So, uh, yeah, let's see what <laughs> well, how it well, so that pun might uh, reemerge occasionally. Sorry, somebody wanted to jump in there. No, no. Well, well Trump means drill. Will and every day he increases in polls. I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to write about it by hinting at it, but it's not good for commodity prices. Certainly crude oil, drill it will. It's definitely, I think, good for gold because it'll be a bit of a global pushback on the U.S. kind of tilting towards a third world country type political situation. Um, and, you know, it's 10% tariffs. But, but even if the even if the uh, the U.S. energy companies could drill at will in, in whatever territories that would be, I mean, they can drill at will at the Permian if they want to uh, already, would they? I mean, the, the point is that uh, with a sort of downward draft in prices uh, and, and, and the more supply you bring on board, the, the likelihood prices soften further, even if they had the license to drill at will, would they? It's the lag of the cycle, Sean. That's the problem right now. We're in the wrong end of two cycles. The high price cure. We're in the back end of the big pump to higher prices in 2022. And if exactly what you expect, that elasticity of supply is just starting to kick in. To shut that off, you need crude oil. Typically, that what's happened the last three times since 2008, it's had a shut. It's had a drop below 40. And those lows have been lower. And that will shut off a little bit of that supply. But you, it's way too high here to shut it off now. We're on the wrong end. And we're on the wrong end of a global interest rate cycle. Not one major bank, except for China, the world's significant demand source, Amish and Neil touched on some of the situations there, have been cutting rates yet. So basically, typically what it ha happens, it takes for broad commodities to prow to bottom is a long and variable lag to the first easing, Federal Reserve easing. We haven't even started that. So the cycle here, everything is bad for crude oil and commodities. And I like to point out, it's just the thing that really it shows up first from a commodity standpoint, it shows up in the grains first, that elasticity supply. We have record production, South America, North America, only because the prices are so high and there's still a lot of money in those trades. So I think that's why I look at it as, as leading and it's just the wrong time right now. It's, it's You have to depend on some kind of supply disruptions of some kind of wars like Neil mentioned. But if you look back at the histories of wars in the Middle East, you get little spikes and then he put in enduring lows. I just look at the Gulf. Um, first of all, the uh, Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. The peak was 40 in WTI and Brent too. Uh, it started at 20 and then it bottomed in 1998 around 10. It took 13 years to get out that high. They had very similar situations with the Iraq-Iran war. And right now, the peak is we're in the back end of a significant invasion 
by a oil producer and that everything I see is heading downward in terms of of deflation forces and commodities and crude oil is a laggard. Anish, your thoughts on just picking up on some of that, but also in particular, uh, the crisis in the Red Sea. Have we seen the worst of that? I mean, it's in some ways it feels like it's 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 still in early days. The 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 now we're seeing even Russian uh, uh, Russian oil now de- de- sort of detouring around the the Africa and avoiding the Red Sea. Your thoughts on uh, on that as a as an in- impact uh, for oil flows and oil prices. Uh, yeah, I think with with events like this, you you generally get an initial overreaction in terms of in terms of oil prices, which we never got, by the way. I mean, we well, you you you've, you've started to see oil prices pick back up. I think there's more worry there in in the price. You know, when again when we look at fundamentals, the fundamentals are a lot weaker than where oil prices are at the moment. So, um, you know, I think it's it's certainly uh, prevented a downdraft in in pricing. But what what you tend to see is then the market. Um, gets but just on that fundamental, I mean, the, the, the take task on the weakness of the fundamentals. Where are those weaknesses? We we had the IMF come out to revise upward global economic growth this year, uh, uh, with India at a whopping six and a half percent. China is showing that the factory activity is expanding. U.S. economy grew at 3.3% in the fourth quarter, looking at a soft landing, no cuts to the second half. So the economy there looks healthy. Where is the softness? Where is the the sort of uh, the weakening, weakening economic profile that is a, that is the downward draft for oil prices? Yeah, well, I think in, in, you know, North America is a good, good example. I think you're seeing some decoupling versus the most recent uh, GDP data and what you're seeing in actual oil demand trends. So if you look at the Jody data going back to uh, the US for November, diesel demand, the driver of the economy, was down 7% year over year in, in November. So that you know that's that's a huge fall in, in demand. We're we're seeing similar things, um big big falls in gasoline demand coming through towards the end of the year in the US as well. Um, the, the, the I think that's gonna gonna come out in the more recent data that you'll see uh, from from the likes of the IEA and other organisations. But the problem is that 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 data is is lagged. As that as that starts to come out, I think people will get more bearish on 2024 oil demand. Um, we're, we're expecting oil demand to actually fall this year on on the back of the the likes of of the US. We see um, we see China continuing to slow down, and on top of that, as I mentioned earlier, we're seeing a large SPR release, the equivalent of over a million barrels a day of of oil coming onto the market in China for being released out out of inventories. So that that's the weakness on the fundamentals. When you look at the the Red Sea, you know it's it's somewhat similar to um, to Russia um, when uh, after the Ukraine war, you the market finds a way to get those barrels out. It might be more expensive. It might add a few few dollars per barrel in terms of logistics costs, but the market always finds a way of, of getting that oil out. It's, it's too costly for, for most of those producers to, to, to stop that. Yes, there's the, you know, the, the risk of, uh, of, of a, a kind of black swan event of the Straits of Hormuz being closed, which you know, some of that's being priced in. But um, overall, we think that the market's kind of showing that it, it will get that crude out, it'll get it get it to market, um, and eventually that you know, the, the market will get comfortable with that and prices will come back down. 
Let's go to the survey question to get a, a sort of view of the room on, on that sort of geopolitical premium question. How much geopolitical premium for the Middle East supply risk is already bedded into the oil price? Uh, over $5, less than $5, none. Uh, how much geopolitical premium for Middle East supply risk is already bedded into the oil price? Over five, less than five, none. Neil, I wanted again. We've got uh, obviously the different fundamentals on the demand side, uh, the 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 weakening profile as as articulated uh, there. Um, but of course, we have the supply supply tightness piece uh, and the supply restriction. Um, we're going to see it looks like sanctions reimposed on Venezuela, given the political situation there. Uh, we've got Sa uh, the OPEC plus continuing uh, to uh, impo impose further output cuts uh, as part of their program this month. Uh, and we had the Saudi decision earlier this week to abandon plans of adding a 1 million barrel a day capacity. Now, that's not obviously immediate, but it is a strong signal of, of, of cap, you know, lack of investment in future capacity. So your thoughts from the supply side, where this profile looks? Uh, oh, gosh, you've thrown a lot out there, Sean, and yeah. I'll cover as brief as I Just quickly, over the last 40 years, if I had a dollar for every time someone had talked about a possible closure of the Strait of Hormuz, I could retire. <laughs> it isn't going to happen. No. End of story. Uh, as far as Venezuela is concerned, the United States is in an interesting position here because, quite rightly, it's uh, offered relief of sanctions if the Maduro regime uh, were to uh, allow free and fair elections this year. Uh, th that in itself is a good thing, but it looks as if that is not now going to happen. And so the United States, if it is to be consistent, is uh, presumably going to have to reimpose the full range of sanctions that existed uh, until recently. Uh, you know, if you add in the Middle East tensions, uh, tougher sanctions against Iran could contribute as we move through 2024 into a tightening of the market if other uh, conditions were to change. And again, it's election year. You know, I leave it out there. That's the main priority for the administration or indeed any administration. As far as the Saudi concerned, I, I don't get quite as excited as some people about this. The Saudi government has an enormous program for economic uh, diversification, the, uh, the, the steps to 2030 to diversify the economy, spend massive amounts of money on developing uh, new cities, uh, venturing into other economic sectors, not least sports, of course, which we're all familiar with. So, you know, I think it's a question of... Uh, they don't need to invest that money now because, you know, the call on uh, OPEC or the call on Saudi uh, crude is not going to exceed the levels of, ca of capacity because we're sitting on, you know, any anything between uh, what five and six million barrels a day spare capacity now. It doesn't mean that that decision cannot be revisited in years to come if market conditions allow. So but why I, spend I, the money now, is, I suppose, is, is ultimately... The thought, uh, but just on the why, sort of the, the the overarching thesis of my question is, we've seen in recent years OPEC plus 
cut its way into a tighter market. I mean, drain the market of supply and with that tightness, elevate the price. Is that option still on the table, do you think, going into 24? I mean, we have deeper cuts supposedly coming in this quarter. Uh, Is supply tightness still a tool that will keep this tent up in terms of price? Of course it is. I mean, it, uh, as it has always been the case these past 40 odd years is that, you know, it is within their gift or within the gift of the OPEC plus alliance to vary their production up or down by significant volumes uh, to affect uh, the price. The issue for them uh, arises as it has done throughout history. Uh, you know, if you cut production, you are seeding market share, which is what is happening uh, at the end of 23 into 24 because of the uh, upsurge we saw in non-OPEC production, not least from the US and elsewhere. So it, it's a dilemma which has existed for the OPEC producers for more than 40 years, and they continue to wrestle with it. Uh, personally, I think they have to suck it up as far as the current market situation is concerned, stick with the program they've already announced, and see if the gloomier economic outlook or the gloomier outlook for uh, wider commodity markets, including oil, that, that Mike suggests, for example, uh, if not to be the case and the market is more positive, then they have the option later in the year to start to reverse. Yeah, just, it strikes me that we're now, uh, unlike last year, uh, you know, starting of last year, where OPEC plus still had the room to, to cut into uh, the market uh, that uh, and bring all its members along with that program. I don't see that to still be the case. The optionality of further cuts with this group, I just don't think the, the appetite or the political or economic will is there to do it. I think they've maxed out what they can do, uh, and now they've got to hope for demand. Mike, I want to get your thoughts. I mean, we mentioned there election year it's been mentioned a few times and obviously we don't quite know the scale of the geopolitical risk question we don't quite know the scale of which the election surprises will impact or could impact the market we had a signal the other day with the uh, biden administration decision to suspend licensing of new lng projects not uh, touching existing ones but new ones uh, could we see other surprises if we, because of that election? Uh, could we see another dip into the SPR? Your thoughts on how the election journey might uh, continue to impact this market or could impact the market? Well, I have to compliment you, Sean. You, we both know that's a loaded question. <laughs> but they, let's, let's start with LNG and U.S. natural gas. It's the highest volatility major commodity in the Bloomberg Commodity Index, and it's the benchmark in the world's largest economy for heat, electricity, and fertilizer. And the price you see on the screen right now, two bucks, was first traded in 1990. That's significant deflationary forces. So in markets, you usually follow the high volatility. And I think all commodities are going to follow the lead of natural gas. It pumped up to a pretty high price in 2022, and now it's probably stuck between two and four indefinitely. That's what commodities have been doing internally forever when they get too high. So I think that's if you look at natural gas right now, LNG is a part of it, but the U.S. can only, there's a bit of a bottleneck of supply, maybe maximum we can export 20%. But you're pointing out a good fact is this latest restrictions on um, new uh, new um, plants is not a big deal. There's so many in, in the works right now. So the, the example I like to say, if, if, if WTI catches up to natural gas, which is where, you know, just the 2019 levels, it'd be around $45 a barrel. 
And so that's the pressure factor. Um, and I think that's really important to mention um, because it, in you know you got to follow that high volatility leader. If it catches up to industrial metals, it'd be around fifty. If it catches up to corn, so that's my point. Is it's there's there's that twenty dollar premium, and it's I don't see what it every day that goes by. You do not see excessive cuts of production, which is very rare, as Neil mentioned. Um, and certainly, uh, it, it's there's your example. I like to, I've been pointing it out for two years. I've been early, but markets are all following that. And here here we are. It's the first just well, it's the first day of February. Yesterday, you know, just yesterday was January, and and you look at U.S. natural gas, it's down thirteen percent from last year's level. What what is that? That's the high price cure kicking in. There's just too much natural gas in this country. Let's give the last word this morning to Anish uh, with the survey question. Anish, from your point of view, uh, we've got uh, somewhat of a divided room here, over five, less than five, uh, the geopolitical premium uh, in this market. But the OPEC cuts as pledged uh, for the first quarter, um, the, the, we have uh, Reuters survey uh, uh, overnight reporting that uh, – uh, OPEC production supply rather dropped 400,000 barrels in January. Your thoughts on uh, how important it is for for OPEC Plus uh, to to keep this market supported by following through with their pledged cuts to this full scale of which they have announced? I think it's crucial for them to do that to keep oil prices uh, close to where they are, and you know we think that we're going to need further cuts to come through through the course of this year to um to to keep oil prices supported you know in the absence of that we do see oil prices trending back we you know we our, our forecast has been $64 and we think that oil prices are going to test $64 WTI again again this year um so you know with with that supply demand balance it's uh, very important that OPEC kind of stick to their guns and and potentially do do a lot more and just to sorry, be clarify on that. Your forecast for twenty twenty four on WTI is sixty four dollars. We're expecting it to get back to so um, yeah, that that's our next target. We're expecting oil to to test sixty four dollars again. Okay, is that an average for the year or just a singular moment? That's a, that's a single point. Okay. Right. Well, at the moment, uh, we have WTI trading at 75.97, Brent at 80.63. Uh, there seems to this market is in a in a relatively stable tight band, high 70s, low 80s, uh, with uh, uh, you know six million barrels of idle or cuts. Call them idle supply. Some people call them cuts, uh, and, and a geopolitical risk does seem to have this market in a relatively tight window. Uh, no dramas. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I really appreciate, as always, insights of Mike McGlone in the US, Neil Atkinson's in France, and Anish Kapadia in the UK. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everybody. We're here every morning, 10.30 UAE time, and we're flagging a nine-month mark your calendar. No excuse. Get on. Book your flights. Fujera on October 1st. Mike McGlone, we're hoping you'll join us this year. Come on. All the best. Thank you so much.